are so blessed as a congregation. We really are to have just such fine men that have come through this pulpit and uh, maybe not this exact pulpit, it's maybe changed through the years, but this congregation, this uh, uh, to have pastors and Pastor Bob Mammon, as he spoke yesterday, came in a very important time for this church. And as he was able to uh, correct things and such, get it back on, and a man managed to purchase the Atlantic Street building that gave us the resources to eventually buy Linden, which eventually gave us the resources to buy this wonderful facility, that the heart of a man who said, you know what, I'm doing what God wants me to do. The will of God, simple definition, certain people, certain places, and certain times doing certain things. And Pastor Mammon was here in the will of God. It's such a blessing to have him and his wife Susan with us. We, 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 we're in a treat for today. We're going to have a great time. Let's welcome Pastor Mammon as he comes. Amen. Good to be in church, as always, on a Sunday morning, and uh, glad you're here. Praise God. I want to, uh, first of all, just uh, congratulate you on uh, not only the new building here, but your 40th anniversary. That is a real milestone, and, uh, you know, several of our churches now uh, around the fellowship are reaching that stage uh, 40, um, 35, and, and uh, just a few, uh, really a handful uh, that are older. Uh, we um, are going on Saturday to uh, a celebration in Wickenburg, Arizona, the huge metropolis of Wickenburg. It's about uh, 40 miles northwest of Phoenix, and it is the oldest church in the fellowship that was planted uh, that you uh, pastor greg mentioned kearney arizona but that never really happened but uh, ron burrell was sent shortly uh, after that kearney experiment to, down to wickenburg where uh, was another church that pastor mitchell at one time uh, pastored and uh, uh, so the occasion of his uh, venture down there is coming up on 50 years. So 50 years ago uh, this year, that church was uh, uh, started by Ron Burrell. Still going on today. They've planted some workers. We uh, we worked with some of the men that they had planted up in the Northwest, and they've got a few other workers around here and there. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's exciting to see. The, uh, the longevity of uh, churches like that, churches like this one, and then also, of course, uh, a lot of uh, newer churches that are uh, on the map. Uh, if you've got 34, 3,500, whatever the number is these days, and there's lots of newer ones, of course. And so it's exciting to be a part of that. Amen. We are going to be in the book of Isaiah this morning. If you'd like to turn to Isaiah 43. I want to thank also Pastor uh, Keith and uh, Carrie for the invitation and uh, their hospitality uh, while we're here. We appreciate that. Isaiah 43. As you're turning there, 
the president of the United States and uh, most governors have a uh, very unique power granted them by uh, the Constitution or their state law. And that's the power of executive clemency. This is a, uh, an ability to uh, grant certain uh, legal actions to uh, people that are in prison. Usually takes two forms. One is a commutation, one is a pardon. The commutation of sentence is uh, when that uh, sentence is reduced. A convicted prisoner uh, would uh, be granted a, a, an early release, uh, which, of course, they were, would be happy to get. But uh, they would still have a record. They would still be a convicted felon. A pardon is different. A pardon is uh, not only a release from prison and uh, the end of the sentence, but it is a complete expulsion of the crime. In other words, the record of that person is clean. In the eyes of the law, they had never committed the crime. So if put yourself in, in that position for a minute. If you, God forbid, were in a situation where you could receive either a pardon or a commutation of sentence, which would you choose? Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? We'd all choose a pardon. Not only do we want to get out of jail, but we want a clean record. Now, this uh, may be um, uh, a unique feature of American law. I'm not sure about other countries. But uh, like much of uh, the legal system in America, that is a Bible principle, a biblical truth. And I want to look with you at uh, Isaiah 43, just one verse of Scripture that uh, points this out this morning. A sermon called uh, Pardon or Probation. Verse 25, look at verse 25 with me. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That is a great verse of Scripture. Can you say amen? That's good news. That's the gospel in a nutshell this morning. So let's uh, explore this a little bit today. First of all, we want to get uh, a, a biblical definition and background here of uh, the idea that Isaiah is speaking of. We could uh, go all the way back to Exodus 12 and uh, the Passover when Israel was going to be uh, brought out of Egypt. God told them to do something. This was, this was a terrible judgment the culmination of all the plagues, the death of the firstborn, it was going to fall upon the land that night. And God, in order to spare His people that judgment, told them that if they would take a lamb and shed the blood of that innocent lamb, take that blood, 
put it over the doorway of the home, at the top, and then on the two side posts. Then remain, be sure that they remained in the house. Everyone in the family would be protected as long as they were in the house. You've got to be in the house. Amen. That's still true today. You've got to be in God's house. And that blood protected them from the angel of death that came that night over the land of Egypt, the firstborn of every family, even the firstborn of every animal, the Bible says, was judged because of the hardness of heart of Pharaoh, refusal to let God's people go, and, and so on. So this is a picture of the cross, even the, the physical shape of the, the door, the blood to the top, oh, on the two sides, picture of Jesus on the cross. And it's a foreshadowing, of course, prophetic uh, of uh, his sacrifice for the sins of the world. But here's uh, some uh, very significant uh, insight. The word for the male sheep, it had to be a male, by the way, could not be a female sheep, had to be a male. And the Hebrew word for that male animal is zakar. Like many Hebrew words, it has a dual meaning. It can mean the male animal, but it also can mean a remembrance or a record. So what God is saying, church, in the sacrifice of that innocent lamb for the people that uh, were in the house, is that not only is God putting to death the lamb and the legal issue of their sin is settled, but the record, the memory of that sin is also put to death. So through the Passover, the nation of Israel was set free from their bondage, set free from slavery, and released to pursue their calling and destiny in the promised land. It was so radical that uh, their whole calendar changed. God told them at that time that this is now the beginning of months. It's kind of like getting saved, isn't it? Because that's exactly what happens when you get saved. Everything changes. Not only are you recognizing that uh, Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, was slain and His blood shed for your sins, but uh, that God is saying the legal record of your sin is gone. It no longer exists. You've been pardoned. Hallelujah. So let's consider for a moment here, secondly, the, uh, the idea of divine clemency. God has that same power of clemency. 
time out. Let me open my water here. So look at, look at our text again. I am he who blots out. That's a great phrase. Blots out your transgressions. And I will not remember your sins. It's not that God has a memory problem, but that He is able to willfully forget that you ever sinned. Think of that for a moment. The New Living Translation in this Scripture says, I will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Amen. The word blot out in our text could be translated obliterate or exterminate. Amen. Let's pretend here for a moment. Let's say you've got a little cockroach problem at your house. Cucarachas. And so you call who? You call the exterminator. He shows up with his truck. He's got the chemicals. He's got the hoses. He's got everything he needs. He's ready to go to work. You meet him in the driveway and you say, listen, I'm a really nice guy. I only want you to kill about 20 or 30 of them. Is that what you're going to tell him? Oh, no, no, no. No, you're going to say, I want them exterminated. I want them obliterated. Right? I want every one of them dead. I want you to set off a nuclear explosion if necessary. Because I don't want one left. That's what you're going to say. And church, that's what God is telling us. He has done with the memory of your sins. They do not exist anymore. This is very difficult for us to wrap our heads around. Because we can remember our sins, can't we? Because we were there when they happened. And so, we can, on the one hand, we can grasp the concept of forgiveness. Yes, God's forgiven me. The blood of Jesus has covered me. Thank God for that. But the torment and the pain and sometimes the, the shame of what we did sometimes pops back into our mind, doesn't it? That never happens to God. He is able... To remember your sins no more. But we have to view ourselves and what's happened when we came to the foot of the cross the way God views them in order to really step into the fullness of what He has in store for us. When we, uh, we'd mentioned last night that we we're uh, pioneering a church in Denver 
when uh, we got the call to uh, to come here. And when we um, moved into a building in Denver to start our church there, we <clears throat> had to paint the walls, very typical. And this, I don't know what was in there, some kind of business was in there before, and they had this fire engine red wall. One wall was just red. I mean, it was red. That's so all. We didn't really want that in the church. And so we painted it, painted the whole building, uh, just a typical off-white or something. And it looked fine while the paint was wet, but then after the paint dried, and now we've got a pink wall, which is worse than the red. And so we painted again, and now we've got a pinkish wall. It took I don't know how many coats of paint to finally get rid of that, that red color showing through. But it finally did. You know, I, I uh, wasn't familiar with the product at the time, but afterwards I re- looked back and I realized what I needed is some kills. I needed something to obliterate that color. I needed something to cancel. I believe in cancel culture. God believes in cancel culture. Amen. He invented it right here. He said, I will cancel even the remembrance of your sin. Now, Jesus, of course, is at the heart of all that we're talking about here. Jesus is the Zakar. He is the male chosen to become the innocent victim who sheds his blood for the guilty sinner. But uh, what we really need to nail down this morning in our thinking is that not only is the legal issue, the record of your sin, destroyed, gone, wiped clean, but the remembrance, the very memory of that sin no longer exists. And so here we come down to the, uh, the issue of you and me. Human clemency. Put yourself in your Oval Office this morning, just like the president when he issues uh, acts of executive clemency. He's up there in his Oval Office. He's signing those papers. Amen. Here you are in your Oval Office. You are dealing with two issues. All of us are. Those two issues are, how are you going to judge yourself? And then how are you going to judge other people? So in the first case, judging yourself, this has to do with your past. The actions and the memory of your past. You see, your past sins, the remembrance of your old life before you got saved, is the whole basis for what the Bible calls the accuser of the brethren, the demonic spirit of condemnation, false guilt, and the devil specializes in this. Satan just loves to drag you back through your past, drag you through the mud, 
rub your face in it, and try to convince you that you're not really a Christian. How dare you call yourself a Christian? Look at what you used to do. Can anybody say amen this morning? We've all been there. This is, this is the nature of life. And so that, that wicked spirit of condemnation focuses on the past. A past church that does not exist. Remember what we, we said. God says, I'm not even going there. I can't even remember what you're talking about. That voice from the past trying to make you feel guilty over something that doesn't exist is not the voice of God. It is never the voice of God. It is the voice of the devil. It is the spirit of condemnation, false accuser, and false guilt. He specializes his trade. And so, as you look at yourself, You have got to look through the eyes of Scripture. You've got to look through the way God looks at you. And because you and I are human beings, this is very difficult. This is the reason some people are tormented with fear. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. I I, I just, uh, you know, think about my past. Well, if you think about your past... You need to think about it the way God thinks about it. Some people have put themselves on probation. Even as Christians, you're still wearing the ankle bracelet. Uh, That man sitting in the back there is not your parole officer that you're reporting to every Sunday and Wednesday. That's not the way this works. But some people have that mindset. Judging yourself and judging others. So when you think about the sins of others... We've all been violated in life. We've all been offended, mistreated. And, of course, that comes at the hands of other people. Many times, people that we love. People that loved us. People that we were close to. Many, many times, it is people in positions of authority. Parents, husbands, and wives, people in close relationships. And as you think about those situations, I want to ask you the question, have you truly pardoned that person or have you put them on probation? Well, we'll see how it goes, you know. Yeah, I guess I forgive them, but, uh, but I, but just, that's a big but, but. We'll see. Really? Is that the way you want God to treat you? Is that the way God has treated you? Now, that's religion. 
See, religion puts everybody on probation. You name it. Any religion, there's, there's a multitude of religions around the world, and they have put everyone on probation. Do the best you can, and we'll see. Maybe you'll make it if you do this well enough or, or sacrifice enough or do enough of the, uh, whatever the particular religious calisthenics that that group uh, uh, likes to practice, you know. If you do that enough, no, that's, that's not Christianity. Now, the problem is, we are not very good at this. You know, when you and I came to an altar, prayed a simple prayer, surrendered our lives to Jesus, God answered that prayer, immediately you're forgiven, your entire past is no longer in existence, everything's made new, boom, it's, it's a done deal, just like that. God is really good at forgiveness. Never misses it, never makes a mistake. But you and me, not so much. That is why it is not at all unusual for you to, after you've, as you've you know, lived for God for years, and you've heard sermons like this, you've been faced with the issue of forgiving other people in your life, and you've done it. You've said, yes, I need to do that. I'm going to forgive that person. You maybe even came to an altar and and said, God, help me. God, I forgive them in Jesus' name. And you meant it. You meant every word of it. You were sincere, and to the best of your ability, you forgave that person. But the, the common thing is that Months, even years later, all of a sudden you can, you can have a little flare-up. You can, you can feel that thing again. You can feel the hurt. You can feel the pain. God says, I'll remember their sins no more, and He can do it. You and I cannot do that so well, whether it's ourselves or the sins of other people. And so you are going to have to revisit that. That doesn't mean that you didn't do it the first time. That doesn't mean that somehow you failed to forgive correctly when you acted upon that, however many times you've done it before. What it means is, church, you're a human being and you're doing your best to to do what you need to do, and it's going to take a little time. That's not a a sin. That's not some kind of horrible crime that you're committing. It's just reality. God's working with us exactly where we're at. And from time to time, it is very, very normal for God to bring to you that issue once again so that you can do a little bit more of forgiving. You can, you can make a little bit more progress. You know, the, the key in all of this is that we're making progress. That when you look at your Self, when you look at your past, you're not tormented with condemnation. You can look at your past and say, oh yeah, I, I did that stuff. Boy, I was really screwed up. I was a mess. Thank God I got saved. That's one thing. 
It's another thing to be tormented again over the guilt. That's not God. I wonder what it was like for the Apostle Paul when he had to think back when he was still called Saul. When he was a religious fanatic who used to, not only for his livelihood, but as a hobby, he loved to kill Christians. He arrested them, killed some of them, and then became a Christian. You ever think he he might have had to deal with a bit of guilt from his past? Oh, I think he might have. I think he probably had to work that through more than just once. I've got a I've got a friend. His name's Rudy Aguilar. And I met Rudy when we pastored in Alamogordo, New Mexico. This is in the uh, mid-80s. Rudy came from California and just, just came into our church one day and got saved. Just one of those converts really, really did well from day one. Just boom, served God. And uh, some, at some point, uh, several months into his conversion experience, he wanted to talk to me. And he said, Pastor, I want to explain to you why I am here in New Mexico. I came from Santa Ana, California. That's the L.A. area. Very, still to this day, a very rough area. Gang infested. Very, very rough area. And Rudy grew up, lived there. He said, I left California because I'm on the run with a murder warrant. Somebody killed my brother and I killed them. It was a gangbanger. What do I do now? Hmm. Okay, Rudy, I missed that class in seminary, so I'm going to have to... uh... Mm Mm-hmm. Whether this was right or wrong, I just, I don't know, Rudy. Live for God, we'll figure it out. And so he did. He continued to serve God. So years... Several years later, 1988 or so, we uh, moved over to California, to Pastor Yucca Valley, California. And within about a year or so, I hear from somebody in the church there that Rudy got arrested. Some kind of a traffic stop, pulled over, ran his ID, outstanding murder warrant pops up. He's arrested. He's extradited to California. He didn't fight it. He just apparently said, well, I'm guilty. I did it. I, I'm not going to try to play games here. He went back and faced the court system in uh, California and received his sentence 25 years to life. So Rudy went to jail. And over the next many, many years, kept in touch, wrote some letters, called on the phone occasionally. Actually, 
uh, later on in the in the 90s, the church that we went to after we left here, so that would have been in uh, 99 or so, 98, 99, we were in uh, kind of <clears throat> a little bit closer in California to where Rudy was imprisoned. He'd been moved around to a couple of different places, but I drove about four or five hours up one time to visit him, got to actually uh, see him in person and talk. And, and every time, the letters, the, whether the phone call uh, or seeing him, Rudy always ended up encouraging me. Rudy served God in prison. And he led Bible studies, started Bible studies. He learned how to play the guitar so he could sing at his own Bible studies. I don't know how many people he led to Jesus in jail. Many. I think at least one that I know of is a pastor today. And Rudy just decided that he was going to serve God. And yet, here he is, a convicted murderer. Now, you and I know that there were times when Rudy, sitting in his jail cell, had to fight the devil who was trying to tell him, look at you. You're a criminal. You're a murderer. How dare you call yourself a Christian? You can't hope to go to heaven God will never let you in, on and on, whatever, whatever he might have heard. But Rudy overcame that. Rudy got a revelation of who he was through the eyes of Jesus, not through the eyes of his own flesh or the legal system or, I mean, the truth of the, the reality of the situation. And he victoriously came through that, applied for probation three different times. Uh, a couple of us uh, that knew him wrote letters to the parole board. And, uh, uh, you know, my part of what I said was, this is not your typical jailhouse conversion. You know, now that you're in jail, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Please let me out. No, that's not, that's not what this is. I said, this guy was saved before he ever went to prison. And so they denied him. They made him do his 25, but Rudy finally got out. And he uh, was released uh, back down in the L.A. area where he's from, L.A. County. He's in one of our churches today. He's serving God today. Uh, he's, uh, he's got his life back, reacquainted with a, a granddaughter that he ne- had never even met, and uh, a daughter that he's estranged from. And uh, just God has turned that thing around. But, but Rudy had to get what I'm talking about this morning, church. And, and you've got to get it, too. So, the final idea here is receiving the pardon. I didn't know this, uh, and you may not, and I hope it's uh, really not applicable, but just in case, you know, if you ever want to apply for clemency from the president, there's a website. That's right. Clemency.com. I see some of you writing that down right now. Clemency.com. You fill out an application. I wonder how many applications the President of the United States gets every year. Please let me out. (laughs) You know, if 
if every prisoner in the system knew about this, he would get tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of letters. Well, I'm sure he's got a staff that goes through, sifts through and picks out likely prospects. And they, uh, the president can, can grant or deny as many as he wants. That's totally up to him there. And there's no appeal when a presidential pardon is granted. The Supreme Court can't even touch it. It is a done deal. But you have to apply. You have to ask. It's kind of like getting saved, isn't it? Jesus' blood is sufficient. Jesus' blood will cover anyone in the entire known world who has ever lived, who lives today, eight billion of them. But you got to ask to be saved. So let me, let me share one more story. I got another friend. Chris Oropesa is his name. And he's presently uh, not pastoring, but he was a pastor down in the Phoenix area in one of our churches for many, many years. Chris is from Gallup, New Mexico. It's his hometown. And Chris was basically a thug. Chris was a criminal. It's, it's a strange thing, Pastor. Ever since I got saved, I'm hanging around murderers and thugs more than I ever did before I got saved. I can't quite figure it out. But uh, in any case, um, when we were pastoring in Gallup, I had Chris in for a, a revival. You know, the homeboy, here he is. And uh, we went out after Sunday morning to eat Mexican joint. And it was, uh, it used to be a, a Circle K with a little convenience store chain. And we go in there and Chris is looking around and he, he says, oh yeah, yeah, I remember this place. I robbed this place once. That's who Chris was. He ended up Santa Fe State Prison and did some time because he was a crook. He was a, he was a criminal. And he got out, moved down to Phoenix to get away from the old life and ends up getting saved, being a part of one of our churches. Lives for God, feels called, goes into the ministry. He's got two sons, one of which is a missionary today in, I think, Cambodia. The other is pastoring there in the Phoenix area. And just a wonderful family. So years ago, Chris tells the story that, that while he was pastoring there, his wife began to talk to him a little bit and suggest in that way that only wives can do. Hey, honey, why don't you uh, why don't you apply for a pardon from the state of New Mexico? And he blew it off, you know, typical male response. Ah, they're not going to give me a pardon. It wasn't jaywalking, you know. I mean, I I was a bad guy. But you know how wives are. So she kept very lovingly encouraging him to do this. His church got on board with her. His church decided. Come on, Pastor. What do you got to lose? 
You never know. So finally, Cristo Oropesa writes a letter to the governor of New Mexico and explains the situation, talks about his past, he's very honest, and he's, and, you know, not trying to deceive anyone. He, but he also testified and said, yeah, I'm saved now, pastoring a church, blah, blah, blah. And lo and behold, he gets a phone call from the secretary of the governor of the state of New Mexico saying, Mr. Oropesa, the governor would like to meet you in his office. Well, okay. So Chris makes his way over there, sits down with the governor. There's uh, some people there from the parole board, at least one of whom remembered Chris. And... I got to talking, and uh, the governor says, I was intrigued by your letter, and I'd like to hear more about your story. Tell me your story. So this is like Paul before King Agrippa, you know. And, and he's, he's laying it out. He just gives him a little bit more, fills in the details of his life before and after. And the governor was so moved by this conversion Experience, he said, Mr. Orpesa, I'm going to give you a pardon. So, in the eyes of the state of New Mexico, Chris Oropesa never committed a crime. Legally, that is the case. What does that mean? That means when he fills out that job application and that pesky little question, have you ever been convicted of a felony? You remember that one where you always said no? Even if it wasn't true, right? Okay, you said no. He can say no, and it's true. Because legally, he is innocent. He never committed the crime. That's what we're talking about this morning here, church. But he had to ask. Don't, Don't overlook that. He had to ask. Amen. And when you ask for the pardon that God so freely offers, there will be no question that you'll receive it. And what we're talking about this morning is not religious probation. Do your best and we'll see how it goes someday in eternity. No, we're talking about absolute pardon. Through the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. God's dealing with hearts this morning. And the first thing we want to do is to offer you, my friend, that same opportunity for a pardon. Complete and Absolute forgiveness of your sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. I used a personal illustration from a friend who was a murderer. He killed someone, and God forgave him. And he's saved and on his way to heaven today. And some people would say, well, I wasn't I'm that bad. I've never done anything that bad. Yeah, but you see, all sin is the same in the eyes of God. It's all the same. 
And that's why Jesus shed his blood for everyone. No matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that Jesus died for you. And if you will simply ask God, you can receive forgiveness. You can receive that pardon. Guaranteed. First time every time. Amen. No question about it. God will receive you if you'll come. If that's you, you've never been saved, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and really, really change you and forgive you for your past. Amen. Why don't you do it? this morning. Why don't you do it right now? Amen. With an upraised hand, you'd say, I need to do that. Pastor, here's my hand. Pray for me. Anyone at all? Unsaved, backslidden? There's one thing that takes Christians out of the race. It is the lying spirit of accusation, false guilt, condemnation. Trying to convince you that because of your past, you'll never be able to do anything, never be able to become anything different. That's not true. That's not the way God sees you. If you're backslidden, if you gave up because of that lie, amen, you need to come back this morning. Anyone at all? Amen. This morning, church, we're talking about two things. In the light of all that we said, how are you looking at yourself? How are you judging yourself and your past based upon what God says about your past here that he not only has forgiven you legally but he does not remember your sins anymore he's able to completely willfully forget that you ever sinned just like Chris Oropesa in the eyes of the law he is not a felon he never committed the crime legally That's the way God looks at Christians, His children. I don't know if we'll ever all get there before eternity, but you can take one step closer to that revelation, that understanding here this morning as you look at yourself. Also, the way we look at others. Same thing. We're not so good at forgiving other people, if God's dealing with you to come and do it again, then please just act upon that and take another step closer to the fullness of releasing that person. God will honor that. God will bless that. Amen. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing. The altars are open. Why don't you come if you'd like to find a place to pray. Let God help you this morning. Take me 